0: Well, they're building a gallows outside my cell, and I've got 25 minutes to go. And the whole town's waiting just to hear me yell, I got 24 minutes to go. Here's that wacky California again. We just voted for more guns and ammo regulations, a plastic bag ban, legal marijuana, higher cigarette taxes, and in favor of hurrying up the death penalty. Seem quirky for a blue state? Not so much. Hadar Aviram is a law professor at UC Hastings. She volunteered for the Prop 62 campaign to end the death penalty altogether in favor of life in prison without parole. That loss to Prop 66, which pledges to speed up the death penalty in California, which hasn't executed anyone in 10 years. The ACLU has already challenged 66 in court. Aviram is following her book, Cheap on Crime, with another on the Manson family's parole hearing, and she thinks the promises of Prop 66 are impossible to meet. Now here comes a preacher for to save my soul, with 13. 13- Minutes to go. What is your take on what Proposition 66 promises to do and what it can do?
1: The idea was to do several things. One of them would be to shorten and simplify the post-conviction proceedings available to uh, death row inmates. So rather than processing them through the California Courts of Appeals, the cases would be discussed in the superior courts where the original cases were, uh, were prosecuted and to train and hire many, many more attorneys to try and plug the the long lag uh, of of people who are unrepresented on death row. And part of why I'm so dismayed with the result of the election is that I think that um, not only is Prop 66 extremely unjust and inhumane, but it's also unworkable. Capital punishment representation is an extremely intricate and complicated area of law. People have to specialize in it. There are special proceedings involved. There is special care that is dedicated to these cases for obvious reasons, right, because the outcome could be irreversible. So there's a lot of care that we put into these cases. The result of that is that we currently have a very small pool of attorneys who does these cases, and and we have people waiting long years to be represented on death row. At this point, the average time before you get an attorney on death row is 16 years. The problem with trying to hire more lawyers to plug the lag is that you'd be hiring poorly trained people who have no experience doing these cases when the risk of mistake is enormous. And if you try to improve the quality, you're adding to the cost. It's just like too, it, it, the blanket is too short. It can't really cover the death penalty. Either way, you can't fix the problem. And and this promise to to, to fix the death penalty is is a hollow promise. Trying to get these processes finished uh, within five years, which is what Prop 66 purports to do, is an extremely dangerous prospect. And that means that people, some of whom we know may be innocent, and some of who we know have excellent due process claims about their cases being mishandled and miscarriages of justice, are going to have only five years to gather these materials. It's really problematic to do it, and it's even more problematic to do it in the same lower courts that made the mistakes in the first place.
0: You can understand maybe why Californians are frustrated that, as one judge once said, the leading cause of death on death row is
1: old age. Absolutely, I I completely understand the frustration and to that what I have to say is the answer to that is to repeal the death penalty and move everybody on death row to life without parole. That makes the problem go away, it makes the costs go away.
0: Now, murder victims' families always play a role in these debates.
1: So it's really, really difficult and emotional to listen to victims of homicide, families of victims who were murdered and and, and listen to, to, to their take on things. And I think that it, this particular election season was very poignant because there were victims on both sides of this argument. There are victims who are saying, we, really, we desperately need the closure, we desperately need this to happen. And there are victims that are saying, I just can't countenance with all the money we're spending when we can spend this money you know, solving crimes so that unsolved murders don't remain a mystery to the families. And I'd rather the money went there which is especially true given the fact that we don't really provide the victims with any form of closure with the way the death penalty is now, and we're unlikely to provide them with good closure um, uh, with with Prop 66 on the books.
0: Many people will say that, well, there are too many technicalities involved in the death penalty appeal process. What, What do you say to that?
1: You know, whenever people tell me, you know, people get acquitted on technicalities, I always say, yes, we, that, that is the U.S. Constitution, or in our case, the California Constitution. It's there to guarantee people due processes to, and to guarantee that there's no governmental overreach. Well, we have to start being concerned about the fact that the only thing we have to protect us from things that in the aggregate, in the aggregate are much more heinous than what one individual can do Doing away with these constitutional protections is not doing away with some kind of nicety. It's what protects me and you and our friends and neighbors from being wrongfully accused, railroaded into confessing crimes they didn't commit, uh, uh, railroaded by uh, eyewitnesses who may be lying or genuinely not remembering well what they saw. So what we may call technicalities is really far from. Those are really, really meaningful and significant things.
0: And what is it about California, a state that has just recently voted to recalibrate uh, criminal laws, sentencing laws that voted to legalize marijuana that still voted to retain the death penalty and to speed it up?
1: California is unique in the sense that it is very politically polarized. Our blue counties are very, very blue, and our red counties are very, very red. That means that this is a state where it's very difficult to get things done through the legislature. We have been governing by referendum for a very long time, and we do it by dumbing down very complicated policy questions into yes-no questions for the voters. One of the things that we've seen in the aftermath of the Great Recession is that the conversation about criminal procedure and criminal justice um, in states and in the federal government, has moved away from the impasse that it was in for 40 years, where it's advocates of public safety versus advocates of human rights, and it sort of stepped away from that to being a conversation about something that we all deeply and sincerely believe in, and I, of course, refer to money which means that many states, and this includes some pretty traditionally red states, have tried to close down prisons, to scale back their prison population, to decrease their reliance on solitary confinement, which is an extremely expensive form of punishment, and in general to sort of you know, lighten up a little bit on, on, on the criminal justice system. And California was a pioneer there as well. So for the most part, what you see the states doing is treating nonviolent and violent offenders in different ways. So there's this idea that we're going for the low-hanging fruit, we're trying to lighten up with regard to nonviolent offenders, and at the same time we're retrenching our ideas about violent offenders, treating them all as if they're made of the same cloth, and I think what we've done with the death penalty is a perfect example of how we continue to do this.
0: I'm Pat Morrison taking just a moment's break to remind you that the quality journalism we produce here at the Los Angeles Times, like this very podcast, only happens with the support of subscribers like you. If you're not already an LA Times subscriber, this is the perfect time to become one. As a listener to my podcast, you can get an eight-week trial subscription to the Times for free. It's a risk-free way to discover everything an LA Times digital subscription brings you, like unlimited access on your smartphone, your tablet, or your computer, to all of our great journalism, and those delish extras, like Jonathan Gold's 101 Best Restaurants, which comes out this month. On top of that, you'll be doing your part to support our mission of quality journalism. So, to start, just go to latimes.com slash pat. That's latimes.com slash p-a-t-t. And now, back to the podcast. Is there just something about the death penalty, some deep part of human nature that believes in an eye for an eye?
1: I was doing some campaign work for 62 and against 66, and, and I've, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of folks who consider themselves, you know, good, moral, you know, ethical people. And what I hear from a lot of people is, you know, I would like to reserve this very serious form of punishment for the people that do, you know, truly heinous, you know, horrible things. And, and to that, what I've always said is, you can't vote on the death penalty the way it comes up in a high school debate club you have to vote on the death penalty the way it is actually administered in california and here in california it doesn't happen the way it happens in your fantasy it's not reserved for the people that you think it's reserved for. It's not reserved for the worst of the worst. It's basically a, a luck of the draw that depends on what county you live in. The question of whether you're going to end up on death row in California or not doesn't so much depend on how heinous it is, what the, the, how heinous the homicide that you did is, but what county you have the bad luck to have lived in while you committed the offense. What influence
0: do you think that DNA work and the findings of factual innocence by organizations like the Innocence Project, how does that, that influence public attitudes toward the death penalty?
1: Um, one of the interesting things that Prop 62 did, I think differently from Prop 34, which was the previous attempt to uh, repeal the death penalty uh, by voter initiative, was that it very heavily relied on uh, exonerees as public speakers. This is an argument that presumably should cross any kind of political political line, because even the most ardent supporter of the death penalty, I'm sure, would not be delighted to think about the prospect of executing an innocent person.
0: California, as you know better than most, has had some very high-profile and really horrific murder cases and murderers, from the Night Stalker to the Manson family, how do you think that's affected legislation about the death penalty and public attitudes about the death penalty?
1: Whenever something like this happens, I think we're all justifiably you know, horrified and shocked. We tend to forget that heinous crimes are also very rare. They're not just very shocking. And we tend to start making the rules based on the exceptions rather than based on the rules. Uh, I'm now working on a book in progress about uh, the parole hearings of the Manson family, and one of the things that I'm finding is that much of the punitive history of California is tied up to these cases. So the murders themselves occurred in 1969, and these folks were all sentenced to death in, in 1971, so this is shortly after. And in 1972, the Supreme Court of California, following the Supreme Court of the United States, finds that the death penalty in California is unconstitutional. As a consequence, as of 1972, all the people who were on death row, their sentences were commuted to life with parole. And that is because at the time, life without parole was not in existence. Life without parole came into being in in California law only in 1978. And one of the main arguments that were being made on behalf of that change was look at what happened with the Manson family. And you also have to keep in mind, in the 1970s, it was completely normal for someone to be doing 10, 15 years on a homicide. So when the Manson family started coming up for parole in the late 70s, you know, there was a realistic chance that they would actually be able to get out, especially the followers, not Manson himself, but especially the followers and especially the women. These cases that are kind of the boogeymen of of California criminal justice have really, really accompanied this this panic that we have about, you know, dangerous people getting out every time uh, one of these defendants come up for parole, you still see it in the paper, you still see them making headlines, even though these people are in their 60s and 70s, Manson himself is in the 80s, but uh, but you still see these discussions of, of truly horrific, shocking crimes fueling the conversation. What are some of
0: the other reasons that you oppose the death penalty?
1: I think when I came here, I became aware of the fact that, like everything else, the death penalty here has really uh, poignant uh, racial dimensions that are extremely disturbing in the way that it's administered. So, so I have ethical concerns, but I also have pretty serious uh, financial concerns. We're, we're talking about 750 people. We're spending $150 million a year to keep 750 people in box A as opposed to box B. As I look up at the sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. Hadar Aviram,
0: thank you so much.
1: Shaking, thank you. I'm trying to the dough. on my chest and I'm screaming. I stop breathing, damn, I see demons.
0: Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The music is 25 Minutes to Go by Johnny Cash on Columbia Records and Murder Was the Case by Snoop Dogg on Death Row Records. I am Pat Morrison.
1: I make your better than you can imagine or even So relax let me take control. Close your eyes, my son. My eyes are closed. And my daddy and my homies in my corner. It's gonna take a miracle late, Zay, for me to walk again and talk again. But it-